Welcome to the Go and Teach Bible Study program presented by the Monta Vista Church of Christ in Phoenix, Arizona. We want to thank you for joining us today as we examine the truth of God's Word and the answers it holds to life's most important questions. If you have questions about this lesson or would like to study further, please contact us at montavistacoc.com. Now let's open our Bibles and study God's Word together. Thanks for spending part of your day listening to the Go and Teach radio program. I'm Ryan Goodwin. I preach for the Monta Vista Church of Christ here in Phoenix, Arizona. Our goal is a simple one, to present to you gospel truths. And if there's any questions that you have about what we talk about today, or if you have questions about anything of a spiritual or religious nature, then please let us know what those questions are. And we'd love to sit down and open up our Bibles together and present those gospel truths to you face to face. One of the things that impresses me about our Lord Jesus Christ is that he was always willing during his earthly ministry to talk to anybody, anybody that would listen, even people with bad reputations, even people in a community where fellow community members knew that they were sinners. Jesus would talk to people caught up in adultery. He would talk to Samaritan women, uh, women who had uh, issues in their past marriages. Jesus would talk to tax collectors, the most hated of all social classes in that time period. He would eat dinner with sinners. He would go to the home of sinners. And that was something that really rankled his enemies, the Pharisees and the scribes and the chief priests. They had a real issue with the fact that this man, Jesus, who claimed to be the Messiah, who claimed to be the Son of God, would go and eat in the home of known sinners and tax collectors. But the reason why Jesus was able to eat with those people to spend time with those people, to associate with those people, is because they wanted to hear the truth. They had open and soft hearts, hearts that were willing to listen to what Jesus had to say. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, the apostle Paul had this to say, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. This sober warning reminds us that while we need to work with and associate with unbelievers of all kinds, our relationship is not a completely safe one. The very fact that the Spirit has to say through Paul, do not be deceived, should open up our eyes to the misleading nature of life lived among sinners. It's dangerous. It's fraught with challenges and temptations. And in a spiritual way, it's infectious if allowed to penetrate. The writer Jude makes a similar statement in Jude verse 23 as he says, And on some have mercy with fear, hating the garment polluted by the flesh. That yes, you have mercy, but with some people, some people who've been so infected with sin, you have to hate the garment that's polluted by the flesh. Sin has to be treated as if it's an infectious disease. Sin has to be treated as if even the mere contact with it brings the danger of your own infection. Now, a casual attitude towards sinful acquaintances only leads to ruin for the Christian, and that's a sentiment echoed throughout the Bible. 
Here's a list of passages that all deserve their own study time, but we'll just read them all in a row here. In Psalm 26, verse 4, I do not sit with deceitful men, nor will I go with pretenders. Psalm 106, verse 35, but they mingled with the nations and learned their practices. Psalm 13, verse 20, the companion of fools will suffer harm. Proverbs 14, verse 7, leave the presence of a fool or you will not discern words of knowledge. Proverbs 18, verse 24, a man of many friends comes to ruin. And I think what he's saying here is the warning is against being careless and indiscriminate in our friendships. That when we just allow anybody to be our friend without thinking about how this person could influence us, how this person could affect us, then then those kinds of friends will bring you to ruin when you just have all of them. Proverbs 20, verse 19, do not associate with a gossip. Proverbs 22, verse 24, do not associate with a man given to anger. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 6, 14, do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? Now, the reason why I go out of my way to bring up so many passages on this is that somebody might question, how is it okay for Jesus to associate with sinners? In fact, not just to associate with them, but to be known for his association with sinners. That was a frequent accusation that was leveled against him. So, is there some kind of inconsistency here? All these Bible verses are telling us not to be around sinful people. Don't let them influence you. And then Jesus spent much of his ministry around sinful people, even going so far as to say at one point, it's not the healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick who need a physician. And he said that to justify why he spent so much time reaching out to sinful people. We need to beware of thinking that there's some kind of contradiction here, though, at least when it comes to personal evangelism. While we're told very plainly not to have partnership with the unrighteous, there is no denying that we must participate in worldly affairs. We pay taxes. We have to submit to a government and participate in things related to that government, Romans chapter 13. We need to have jobs, Second Thessalonians 3 verse 10. And in some instances, there are Christians who marry unbelievers, whether they marry an unbeliever after they become a Christian or maybe that person got married before they heard the gospel. In any case, it's a reality that's addressed in 1 Corinthians 7 that sometimes Christians are married to unbelievers. Doing personal evangelism requires us to interact with the world, at least to some degree. So we need to understand a very fundamental difference between the kind of relationships that are productive and those that are not, which brings us back to Jesus. Our Lord himself associated with sinners to the point that he had a reputation for it. But we need to notice a few things about Jesus' relationship with those sinners. In Luke 15, verse 1, it says, Now all the tax gatherers and sinners were coming near him to listen to him. I like that it wasn't just a matter of Jesus being buddies with sinners 
or the tax gatherers coming to him for conversations about sports and just uh, totally unrelated matters. Their relationship to Jesus was a spiritually productive one and a spiritually motivated one in which there was not only evangelistic effort, but a receptive heart. Similarly, one could consider the example of somebody like Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. If you've got a Bible handy there, open up to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 19 and verse 1. Now he entered and was passing through Jericho, and behold, there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax gatherer, and he was rich. And just understand that you didn't become rich as a chief tax gatherer by doing it honestly. This man was rich because it was a very lucrative and dishonest kind of job. On top of that, everybody in the town would have known him. Everybody in that town would have known Zacchaeus because he was the man collecting their taxes. They would have seen him in the tax office. They would have sneered at him as they walked out. Everybody in that town knew who Zacchaeus was. And he probably didn't have a whole lot of friends, at least among the Jewish population. Now, it says here in verse 3, He was trying to see who Jesus was, and he was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. And he ran on ahead and climbed up into a tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Now, was he going to stay at his house just to watch the game? Was he going to stay at his house because they'd been buddies back in college and they just wanted to hang out? Was he staying at his house for a purely secular or social reason? Well, we'll find out. He hurried and came down and received him gladly. And when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So there's a huge difference between just hanging out with sinners and allowing them to be the influence on you and what Jesus does here in Luke 19. Zacchaeus was not influencing Jesus. It was the other way around. Jesus was making a difference in Zacchaeus' life. Jesus was going to this man's house, not just to hang out with him, but to be a difference maker, to change him, to challenge him, to talk to him, to bring him back from the brink of condemnation and eternal destruction. He was teaching him the gospel. Can we say the same thing about our relationship with sinners? Remember what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Do not be deceived. It's not necessarily the sinner who's trying to deceive you. Maybe you're the one deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself into thinking that you're being the good influence, but it's the sinner who's influencing you. It's the sinner who's influencing you to watch that television show that's got the rating TVMA. It's the sinner who's influencing you to laugh at the joke that you know your wife or your mother or your grandmother or a preacher or an elder at church would never laugh at. It's the sinner who's influencing you to try things, to experiment with things. It's the sinner who's influencing you 
to step further away from God and God's people. You're not the one influencing the sinner. Maybe you're deceiving yourself. So while it's true that Jesus ate with the sinners, it's not true that Jesus was influenced by the sinners. As we're calculating the kind of influence that we can have on the people around us and the influence they're having on us, we need to avoid the mistake of convincing ourselves that we're just taking our time working on them or that we'll get around all that church stuff eventually or that religious stuff will just naturally work itself out if I'm just with the sinner enough. Because it says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 14, Whoever does not receive you, nor heed your words, just as you go out from that house or that city, shake off the dust of your feet. Go back a few pages in your Bible to Matthew 7, verse 6, where Jesus said, Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and tear you to pieces. Jesus is very serious about our use of influence amongst unbelievers. If we're not accomplishing anything spiritually then we're wasting our time, which is perhaps one of the greatest pearls at our disposal, our time. We only have so much time and energy in this world to make a difference in people's lives. So we need to ask ourselves if we're making the most of it. Ephesians 5 and verse 16 makes a similar statement where the apostle says there, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, verse 16, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Now, this may seem quite harsh to those with a great deal of unbelieving friends, but here's the reality. You're going to be held accountable for how you use your time, how you use your life. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 9 and 10, we're going to be judged based on the things that we do with our lives, our actions. So we must not allow our company to hinder us from serving God to the fullest. Now, there's nothing wrong with associating with unbelieving friends, but how long has it been, honestly, since you've made any effort to be a good influence? Really, if you're not influencing them... Are they influencing you? How long has it been since you've had a spiritual or religious conversation with that unbelieving friend that you care about so much? If you claim to care about them so much, then why will you not bring up the most important topic that they could possibly talk about with you? Now, if you're just joining us on the program, we're talking about the influence that we have over our unbelieving friends, family members, co-workers, neighbors, and even our enemies. We go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that says bad company corrupts good morals. So the next thing I want to talk about is why does it seem like the wicked, the unbelievers, the sinners of the world, why does it seem like they're so easy to be around? Because it may seem sometimes like your unrighteous friends are just easier to be around than your Christian friends. As if the sinners of the world are friendlier, maybe they make you feel more comfortable, and they're certainly much more fun But I'm reminded of what Paul says in our very first text of do not be deceived. Such relationships may seem more relaxed and more enjoyable, but perhaps perhaps that's because unbelieving friends aren't holding you accountable for anything. Maybe the reason why it feels 
easier to be around your unbelieving or sinful friends is because they're not challenging you in any way. They're not calling you out when you fail in some way. Remember, though, that a lot of negative things feel more comfortable than the more productive reality. Lazily allowing the current to take you out to sea, giving up on an exercise regimen in favor of ill health, skipping class and failing to complete homework, ignoring marital problems instead of confronting them. In, in all of those things, the negative thing, the bad thing, actually feels easier at the moment. Your unbelieving friends seem more comfortable because they're not interested in getting you to heaven. Christians, on the other hand, have a little bit more perspective than that. Go to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. Here in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now that's what Christians do for each other. We consider how to stimulate each other to love and good deeds. Now, love is not always easy. Love is not always comfortable. Love, love is not always pleasant even. Sometimes love requires us to rebuke. Love requires us to discipline. Love requires us to work. Love requires effort. And Christians are going to try to stimulate you to love and good deeds. That's not the easy way to live. Go to 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. That's, that's the hard work, isn't it? That's not pleasant and that's not easy. And that's, that's what we're called to be as Christians, though. That's what we're called to be. In the book of Genesis... Lot serves as a good example of a man who probably thought that he was making a difference with his acquaintances when, in fact, he had no influence when push came to shove. Now remember that Lot lived among the people of Sodom for quite some time before the incident in Genesis 19. It was all the way back in Genesis chapter 13 that he and all of his possessions and his servants and his family members decided to live in the land of Sodom. So some time had passed. But then we get to Genesis chapter 19, and you could even include Genesis chapter 18, where God talks to Abraham about the dangerous spiritual situation in Sodom. But by the time we get to Genesis 19... We find Lot begging and pleading his fellow citizens to deny their evil desires and find an alternative to the sin that they wanted to commit. Now, we may think that we're a righteous influence over our peers or our co-workers, but when their true colors are revealed, it would probably surprise us to find out how little they regard our Christianity. Lot lived there all that time in Sodom, thinking that he was maybe helping, thinking that maybe he was influencing, that he was changing the culture in Sodom. He thought he could plead with them, reason with them, appeal to their morals. But when they had the choice, they wanted to sin. And when the destruction came upon Sodom, 
Nobody would go with him, not even his sons-in-law, by the way. His daughters had married men from Sodom, and not even his sons-in-law would go with him when he warned them about the coming destruction. He didn't even have influence over his in-laws from Sodom. True friends, however, listen to sound wisdom, and they listen to rebuke and correction. They take it when you need to discipline them, when you need to tell them what's what. That's a true friend, and that's a person that you actually have influence over. Proverbs 17 verse 10 says, A rebuke goes deeper into one who has understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. Proverbs 17 verse 17, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. When the choice is forced upon them, most unbelievers will abandon your friendship in favor of a sinful lifestyle. This sad fact causes us to reflect upon our unbelieving and unrighteous friends. It's very tempting sometimes to justify our friendship with them by saying, well, I know this person's not a Christian, but they're only blatantly sinful in one small area of life. We end up tolerating an unbelieving friend as long as he only swears. Or, well, he's promiscuous, but that's his only big problem. Or he only has one truly destructive habit, but he's a great guy or a really great girl aside from that. Now, those problems seem manageable. Typically, however, there's more than meets the eye. And if a person is rebelling against God in one aspect of life, he or she is probably rebelling in many other aspects of life. Besides, what makes a friend with one blatantly sinful habit any better than a friend with 20 blatantly sinful habits? Without repentance, the universal tendency of people is to grow progressively worse in their sinful state. Ephesians 4.22 says, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. 2 Timothy 3 verse 13, evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's a great companion verse, by the way, to 1 Corinthians 15.33. They're written by the same person, so you can see the connection there. But I love to see... I love to see the way that Paul used very similar language. Evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. They'll grow progressively worse there, deceiving and being deceived. And where there's one sinful behavior or attitude, there are always others. James 3 verse 17 says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's disorder in every evil thing. One sin opens up the door for many other sins. We may get on board with a sinful friend and never realize that they've influenced us bit by bit, incrementally, over a great period of time. Satan will make sure that the steps are small enough that you're likely to never notice them. So the last question that we need to ask today is how do I know if I am having a good influence? First of all, if this radio program seems very uncompromising, even harsh, it's because our attitude about sin ought to be uncompromising and harsh. If we truly love our unbelieving friends, then we ought to teach them the gospel and encourage them to join us in God's kingdom. It shows greater indifference to the plight of the sinner to ignore their spiritual needs than to risk your friendship and introduce them to Jesus, their Savior. You will know if you're having a good influence if you notice a couple things. Listen to their words, first of all. 
Notice Proverbs 18, verse 2. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. Ecclesiastes 5, 1 says, draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. So first of all, you know that you're having a good influence if your friends are asking sincere questions about your faith. And if they want to listen to the gospel and they're curious about it and they want to learn, we can tell if they have altered their language somehow and defend us when, our un- when other unbelievers may ridicule the faith. But the second point is this. Look at their behavior. Matthew 7 verse 16 says, You will know them by their fruit. And Acts tw- uh, 26 verse 20 says, Performing deeds appropriate to repentance. My friends, we are having an influence if we start seeing changes in how our friends dress, in how they live, in how they act, and in how they work. You'll know them by their fruits. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. But if you're strong in your faith and you're careful with how you use your influence, you'll be the one to change the world. Now, if there's anything that you'd like to study further, reach out to Monte Vista. We'd love to talk about the gospel with you or any Bible topic for that matter. So whatever need you have, just let us know what it is. And as always, have a blessed day. Thank you for joining us today. To hear this program again, please visit our website at montavistacoc.com. If you're in the Phoenix area, come visit us at the Monte Vista Church of Christ. We're located at 2202 North 40th Street. We have Bible classes for all ages each Sunday morning at 9.30 and again on Wednesday night at 7. For more information about the Monte Vista Church of Christ or to request a personal Bible study, please go to montavistacoc.com. Hallelujah.